Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Mattimore Cronin. And I'm Justin Clark. And today we're discussing the future of smart homes. So first, before we get started with all the different future scenarios, I would like to just talk about what we would ideally want in a home, assuming all technology is possible, because it's quite likely a lot of what we can imagine right now and would want will be possible Mm -hmm. by the year 2050 or at least, you know, say 2100. So assuming all things are possible, what is the ideal home? What does the ideal home look like to Justin Clark? Oh, man. So I guess we just start out from... Yeah, you can go room by room or you can any general trends, whatever, however you want to begin. Yeah, so I kind of go back and forth between a couple of different types of homes. One is kind of this apartment slash condo in a giant mega city, right? You know, a city that's beyond anything we can conceive of right now because, you know, it's just insanely dense Mm -hmm. population. But um, so that's that's kind of that's one aspect that I'll touch on. But then the other one is I kind of just want to live in the woods somewhere, but, you know, be be augmented by all of these technologies that are coming and you know have a smart home kind of like if you've seen ex machina mm-hmm. you know the guy that's just kind of living in a remote wilderness but a super futuristic home yeah that is very cool um but anyways so i'll just start first thing in the morning get out of bed and go to the kitchen that's like the first thing i want to do and make my tea so in the kitchen, I just kind of want, you know, this this is super easy. I think it's the technology is there right now, but I just want something that'll have my tea waiting for me. And mm. this is, you know, I'm not talking tea bags. I'm kind of a tea snob. So right. It's like, <laughs> well, they do have, which is also in my ideal home scenario, they mm. do have robot arm chefs, and they. Ha- I think yeah. I'm going to share this on our on our social media feed. But basically, they have this chef robot that trains based on real chefs actually putting on these haptic gloves and making whatever recipe that they're programming into the chef Mm. bot. So you have basically the ghost of one of these great chefs uh, preparing a meal for you, and you can just choose from a variety of meals. So that would certainly be in my, my ideal future kitchen. Oh yeah. So is this the Moly or um, do you know the name of this? Uh, I forget the name kitchen? of it. I saw I saw it on CNET. They did this. Uh, okay. About it, but because I saw something called Moly. I think that's how you say it. I don't know if that's really the the right pronunciation. I, huh. You know, I don't know what I think about it. But anyways, um, M O L E Y. Okay. This is basically a robotic. Kind of like you were saying, just a robotic kitchen. So it's this Mm. big pod that would almost take up a wall of your kitchen. But it kind of closes off as you select on your little touchscreen what food you want it to make for you. Mm. And it has these robotic arms. I'm pretty sure we're thinking about the same thing. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I mean, the uh, other thing that people say is definitely going to integrate in these smart kitchens is you'll just have Amazon Fresh or whatever food delivery service you have delivering it directly to your fridge and your fridge will actually, I mean, they already have this component where your fridge measures 
how much milk do you have left? How many eggs do you have? Mm -hmm. And it can just sort of all automate in that regard. But that also poses some security risks because if you're letting people into your home or even just letting droids into your home, there, you know, your home could be hacked. Uh, You could get, you know, Mm -hmm. your passport could get stolen and people work from their homes a lot. So you could have all of your valuable intellectual property also accessible to thieves. So I think the biggest component for me about the future of homes is that it's secure and you feel safe. Because when you think about what a home fundamentally is, it's the place where you go to get away from the dangers of the world and to sort of lick your wounds and and be with your loved ones without having to worry about it. I mean, whether you're a caveman or a man living in the year 2100. So so one big theme with uh, my future ideal home is security and privacy. And I actually think that you would want to have some sort of complete cell phone, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, all radiation blocking all the way around. And yeah. um, I was thinking it would be even a really super cool startup if you did this with like like a wallpaper that has that sort of blocking like material EMF in it. Filters yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because um, I that's... use that on my laptop so that I don't get any radiation on my lap. Yeah. So I think there are actually some really thin materials. The problem right now is they're so expensive right. to make this EMF filter, you know. So would you have Wi-Fi in the home or you'd so, go home and you have, you know, right. paper books and no, so or this, wired No, so this is the way that I'm conceiving the ideal home. Most mm-hmm. of the house or you know, part of the house has absolutely no technology. Like my bedroom, I don't want a single thing there that has any technology. I want my bedroom to basically be a Faraday cage. Mm-hmm. And then for the kitchen, I want some smart things. I want the robot arm. For the laundry room, I want the robot arm. But for the living room and the bedroom, I want absolutely no technology. But then in my in the den or the office, I want to have a full VR rig that is hooked up in such a way that it's basically indistinguishable from reality. So your office can be basically like having near real meetings with anyone who you would need to across the world. Um, preferably with feedback even through motion. And then in the playroom, I would have underneath the, you know, in sort of like the level you take an elevator down, I would have this giant sort of VR park. So you could actually just like run around for like, let's say one square mile. So basically it's like infinite as far as you're concerned, but all the software programs you'd go, you'd load onto it would be designed in such a way that you would never go like further than that. Um, And you could, you you could have, I mean, the possibilities are almost infinite if you, if you do that. And if you can have like the sort of like the, a terraforming ground that can sort of create different sorts of physical objects whenever you want, or if you wanted (laughs) to interact with like real people, like you could even have like some bots down there and it could obviously get very dystopic, like really, really quick. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have any interaction with any living creatures, right? right. robots, the whole thing. So is this something that you want in a city? Because there are like very obvious advantages to being in a huge city if you're wanting this super futuristic sort of scenario with the home delivery drones and all that stuff. Because when you were talking about, you know, security, 
with the fresh, the Amazon fresh mm -hmm. delivered straight to your uh, refrigerator, you know, if you were living in a huge condo or apartment building with almost little drone slots that go into the back of your fridge, mm -hmm. like just right, facing right. the outside wall, no one even needs to go through your door. They yeah, just kind that, of go that's a good point. to these little these little doorways on the back of your kitchen or your fridge. Um, you know, that might be one potential solution, but obviously the whole city needs to be designed around that. Um, right, right. So I, don't I mean, know the way thinking. I was envisioning it is also kind of like Ex Machina, where he's on, like, mm -hmm. he's got a whole island that, yeah. you know, you can have drones and helicopters get sent there. I think I think I'd give up the one hour delivery for for having my own <laughs> island, but but obviously, I mean, there's going to be so many more people around by that point that yeah. it's certainly could be interpreted as a pipe dream to think you would have that much free space to yourself. So I think when we're talking about just the future of smart homes in general, it's important to think about what the average home will be like. Mm -hmm. So I mean. This gets a little bit into sort of how I think the best and worst case scenarios are, because just like how today some people live in incredible homes and some people live in squalor, it's going to have the same sort of dichotomies in the future. So I don't know if you want to, um, I'm, I mean, I guess it's a little bit early to get into the scenarios, but uh, I, I think mean, it's a good way of framing it. Best so. cases. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into it. So let's take a uh, quick break. And then we'll get into the best case, worst case, most likely future scenarios. All right. So let's get into first the worst case scenario. So what's the worst case scenario for the future of smart homes? Worst case scenario. Yeah. So I think the worst case scenario is very tied to poor like poorness and the lack of money to afford any of these technologies because we know that technology is advancing like crazy <clears throat> some people are going to have these awesome homes that we're talking about but then like you're saying some people will just be living in squalor like we need i think the worst case is having this income inequality so high that only a few people can you know afford really futuristic homes or at least the homes they want because that's right. the other that's the other thing is we don't we don't want to force people to live a certain way we want people to live in a way that suits them the best and you know there's there's some consideration with the environment because you know if we encourage sprawl too much in cities and mm -hmm. homes then you know that's bad for the environment so there's a lot of considerations um, but yeah, I think the worst case is we have way too many li people living in basically futuristic slums, kind of like hmm. the stacks in Ready Player One. Yeah, or like Elysium. So that, yeah, and then the only getaway is this VR world. Like that's their mm -hmm. home. Like it's just a terrible home otherwise, just basically a trailer. But they just escape everything because, you know, it's not fun to live where they live yeah my so i think that's good and that's that's part of my worst case scenario also although i have like a slightly more sinister spin on it which is okay. more 1984 which is or or in like this one black mirror episode where 
you have basic conveniences. So let's assume there's universal basic income in the future. Most people at least have the bare essentials and the bare essentials by our standards today are pretty good because they have so much more technology. So, um, but what goes along with that, if you are someone who's an average person in society, not like the, you know, in the upper echelon, then you would have your data harvested, your every move being watched and analyzed and used to market to you. And like in that one Black Mirror episode, 500,000 miles or something like that, where basically there's screens everywhere. Everyone's consuming media and ads. And then uh, they go to work and they ride these bikes to generate electricity which then use is used to power the screens, which they then consume yeah. <laughs> and watch ads. And it becomes this cycle of just consumerism. So I think that's one way that it could go pretty badly. Yeah, the interesting thing about that, too, is that that seems relatively likely with a universal basic income, which is funny because having this universal basic income has been a best case scenario for us in the past. So, you know, we have to make sure that we do the UBI right and we don't encourage this sort of exploitation of users and their data and right. their, you know, their minds. So the so one, you know, there's obviously hackers and advertisers. Mm -hmm. We've talked about both of those. The other part is the government. So, you know, as long as the government is pretty good then it's kind of okay for them to look through back doors if they're really just using it to find terrorists and other people mm -hmm. that basically everyone agrees need to be taken down then it's pretty acceptable but if we get into a scenario where the government does have back doors like let's say the apples of the world sort of lose out in their argument and they give back doors to the government like a lot of other companies already have like Intel has, like, you know, Microsoft and other companies have. Um, so, and then if the government becomes less than good, and if they start going after people who are just critics of the government, like they already do in China and Russia and other places, then it could be very much like a 1984 scenario where his TV, the TV is watching you. Not only are you watching the yeah. TV, it's watching you and it can see everything. And with the Facebook portal and all of the, the Alexa and the Google um, mm -hmm. actual visuals that have a camera, but especially the portal, because that one follows you around. It follows you around while you're in the mo while you're in the uh, room walking. So and we're it's just already particularly there. scary because it's Facebook. Like they, they've yeah, been notoriously they have a terrible bad track record. Data. Right. But um, what it, so what do you think about the, you mentioned earlier all of the, like the Faraday cage. What mm -hmm. do you think would be the worst case scenario in regard to that? Like, you know, having 5G all over the place and it turns out that 5G or its yeah. or its um, successors are, you know, extremely um, toxic to our bodies and cause right. cancers at unseen levels. You know, that's that's another terrible scenario for me. Yeah, I think it's quite likely we're going to find out that all of that radiation and stuff going through your body is not good and it causes more mutations and it's correlated with cancer. And mm -hmm. so I, and I other think, things we don't even know about. That's why I think it's crucial that at the very least for the 
10 hours a day that you're in your bedroom, at least have that be radiation free. You can go without that your cell phone during that time or anything else. Or if you need to use it, just put it in airplane mode or whatever we have by that point instead of cell phones. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people, you know, in the the biohacker community, they do have basically Faraday cages in your bedroom like you described. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, like, let's also say that if we totally screw up the environment, which is also a worst case scenario, Mm -hmm. then I could see a situation where you're in your sort of Faraday cage, like, but it's also protected from the outside air and it has air filtration built in. And then you go down into your garage, sort of like boring company, you get lowered down and you get into Mm -hmm. your self-driving, you know, pod and you never really need to go outside you go to like indoor gyms and it's and it's basically like almost like mars outside oh man that sounds truly terrifying honestly but not that not that unlikely in the far future right because there there's been a lot of you know there's a lot of pessimism around what we can actually do to change these uh huge climate effects like we're we're well beyond the point of this being an easy change for mm-hmm. humanity um you know to make the environment cleaner for everybody yeah. so yeah i could I could see that happening, yeah, all right, well, let's get into now the best case scenario best case scenario so I'm gonna do the flip side since we were just talking about sleep. I'll do the flip side of that. Okay. So there's there's a lot of things that factor into good sleep, and there's a lot of cool research going out about this. So one of the things that I forgot wh- where this study was done, but I believe uh, Matthew Walker talked about it. He's the Berkeley professor, a neuroscientist that talks about sleep, or he re- researches sleep. Um, but they were doing these studies on white noise, but it's white noise that oscillates in volume hmm. almost to the to the same sort of frequency as your um, delta deep sleep waves hmm. so it's like this white noise is oscillating in the background but it's syncing up with your deep sleep cycle so you can kind of get this or you can get this really deep sleep because of this sound that's playing in the background Interesting. or yeah, and there's maybe some some other things that you can do, but you can easily have these little devices or these things in your room that prepare you to have the best sleep possible. Another one is smart lights. So a lot of research has come out recently about how this artificial light that everybody has in their house is affecting our sleep pattern. So this could be screens, this could just be regular lights. Because if you think about the natural world, the sun is insanely bright, way brighter than any indoor fluorescent office that you could possibly imagine, which is why there's kind of this push to have natural light in your home. But the flip side of that is it also gets really dark at night, but people want to turn on their lights so they can see perfectly at night, whereas in nature this actually wouldn't happen. You would have dim lights. It would be more on the red spectrum rather than the blue spectrum of lights. Hmm. And you can have these smart lights throughout your house, and this is already a thing, that kind of tint towards the red spectrum and then get really deep red, sort of like the sunset. 
and your home can kind of mimic the natural circadian rhythm of the day. Yeah, that's interesting. So that that kind of fits in nicely with my best case scenario, which would have the same sort of specific alterations to match up with you and what your mood is and whatever you want at any given time. And so in my best case scenario, in the bedroom, like I said, there'd be absolutely no tech and there would also be a big off switch where you could turn (laughs) off the AI house and there would be nothing that would be able to like open or close the door. So just from pure safety precautions, that's what my safety and, you know, bedroom situation Mm -hmm. would be. But in the rest of the house, I would have it alternate as with every move that I make. So imagine like you put your dirty laundry on the clothes or your dirty laundry on the floor and within minutes it's perfectly clean and hanging up exactly where it needs to be. Or you come downstairs and with just a few taps, you put what you want as a meal and then you go sit down on the couch and it gets served to you right there. And Mm -hmm. it'll sort of, the lighting will change to be optimized for whatever your mood is or whatever it is that you're doing during the day, the heat, the temperature, whatever natural lighting, whatever like screens could create the perfect ambiance. So everything would just seamlessly, basically the technology would be so good that it would disappear. And you would still have your bedroom as the refuge and as your sort of control center and zen place but for just like optimizing your experience through technology the rest of the house would have uh you know perfect synchronization with what you want and what you're doing yeah so this i'm i'm conflicted about having a fully autonomous house i mean there's definitely a few things that i want to be autonomous like for one I hate doing laundry and I hate folding laundry. And yeah, I think we, you know, yeah. I think both of us are in that boat. Um, so and there are these, too. have you heard of the laundroid? It's this, no. this laundry folding robot. So basically you just throw your entire pile of clean clothes on into this robot and it'll learn how, well, it learns how to fold and separate into the correct person's pile. So if you have a four-person family, it'll say, okay, this is mom, this is dad, this is son, this is daughter, and it'll fold up all of their clothes and put it into the right bin or in in the right little um, cubby in the bottom of this robot. But yeah, it's called the Laundroid. Um, Seems pretty cool. It's a measly $16,000. Oh, wow. So it's really, really affordable. (laughs) But no, for real, this this would be one of those things that I think is not a big deal right now, but it will be. Hmm. And um, it's I mean, it's one of those things that people spend a lot of time on, especially with if you have a bunch of kids that are getting dirty all the time and you're seemingly doing laundry every single day. That's a lot of time that's spent on folding clothes, like several several hours per week is spent on laundry. And if you can change this and, you know, have some sort of autonomy there, that's good. The one thing that I don't know about is if I would even want a fully autonomous kitchen. So I personally enjoy kind of this this zen, slow-moving dinner hmm. rather than just having it in front of me and scarfing it down. Like I kind of – I like to make food an experience. So yeah. – um, I mean, my, my family have been cookers, uh, they've, you know, they've been, um, really good at cooking 
basically my whole life. So that's kind of just how I've grown up. Mm-hmm. Um, I would much rather have a robot just make it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be nice sometimes because there, there are just times when I don't want to. And, and right now the solution is let's just go out to eat. Right, right. So, But that's fun too. I mean, I would still go out yeah. to eat, but I mean, you know, I don't mind cooking, but it's just not where I get my jingles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it would be pretty easy to adapt to not cooking. Like there's there's obvious benefit. You like you could just spend that time meditating. Right. Just straight meditating while it's cooking. Yeah, or reading or working yeah. or watching something or yeah. yeah, so if you wanted a Zen practice, it doesn't have to be eating. So I'm yeah. I'm flexible on that point. Um, I mean, obviously, it's like, you know, everyone's ideal home is going to be different. So I guess like the best case scenario you could say would be everyone gets their ideal home controlling mm-hmm. for things like screwing up the environment with having an overly bit oversized carbon footprint yeah. or anything like that. So. There are a couple things, though, that I think should, you know, in my opinion, be essential components to any home, like no matter what your tastes are. And these are kind of, these are the hidden things when it comes to the home. So one of the one of the things that I really think should be in everybody's home is sensors everywhere f- that detect things like um, mold. So there, there's been a lot of research about how toxic mold actually is, like uh, mycotoxins. Um, I know Dave Asprey has, you know, been sort of controversial sometimes, but he has a lot of really good things. And this is the Bulletproof guy, the mm-hmm. the guy who founded Bulletproof. But he kind of, at least he was the first person I heard talk about how damaging molds are and how they can create these autoimmune conditions in kids so that might one of the reasons we might have seen such an insane jump in asthma and autism is potentially because we have extremely well insulated homes that don't allow for any airflow right Um, right. you know that could be one of the factors there's a lot of potential factors there i'm not saying that's the the only thing but there's a lot of other toxins that we don't even think about as toxins so like mm-hmm. pollen count, being able to control and clean the air, but you don't want to clean the air too much. Like you don't want to have too high of oxygen. And it also depends on what the um, external environment is. So if you're living in a big city, you have a lot of pollutants from just cars and right, right. the sheer number of people. Well, that's why I think, I mean, one of the greatest cleansers of any environment are plants and trees. Yeah. And so, like, for instance, my house here, which I'm very fortunate to be renting, is, you know, it has trees surrounding the whole house. And then it has one big tree as sort of an umbrella over the top. Mm. And I we have our own oxygen supply. And fortunately, a, a, you know, fortunately, the air around us is still pretty good. It's not like we're living in you know, Shanghai. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think whether you're indoors in a big city or whether you're outdoors, I think having lots of foliage around you is just one of the safest, most tried and true ways to get some good uh, airflow. Yeah. And that could just be one thing as research comes out. You know, everyone has different um, tastes when it comes to plants, but there, 
it doesn't even need to be um, a plant if that's not your taste. I mean, it's personally my taste too, mm-hmm. like just having that natural cleaning mechanism. But there's also a whole bunch of new air filters that are supposedly efficient. I think Molecule is one of oh, them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. I, I see advertisements Dyson about has them. one too. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, I just think having clean air to breathe like that's yeah. one of the most fundamental. But those don't actually plants. produce oxygen. Plants produce oxygen, which is nice. Right, they clean out the the particulates and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but so like dust. But yeah, having a combination of that, where let's say you're filtering air from outside into the house, so you're getting clean, yeah. fresh air circulating, and then you also have some plants inside your house, so you have some nice fresh oxygen inside, and maybe some plants also outside your house. Um, that would be a great solution. Oh yeah. And so there's a lot of things that you can do to, to mitigate. It depends on where you live too. So mm-hmm. in California, a lot of it is really dry and you wouldn't think that there's a lot of, um, mold in homes. And I don't think there is a lot of mold in the homes in California. Um, but if you're talking somewhere like the Pacific Northwest, where it's just yeah. kind of wet all the time, you have to really worry about some of these molds right. um, breaking into your house. And one of the things I've seen is you can use um, bacteria to fight the molds. One mm. of the, one thing that I learned recently is mold and fungi are kind of like sworn enemies. So if That's one of so them, funny. <laughs> yeah, and and one of those thing, one of the things that um, is interesting too is you can use them to fight a you like if you have fungi that is damaging in your home and you have a non-damaging bacteria that can fight the fungi like you would prefer that bacteria to fungi but then maybe sometimes you prefer fungi to bacteria so then you can kind of go back and forth and use this this natural mechanism to help clean um your home and everything else um and one of the so what would you do like let's say you have a rotting wall that that just had you know the, they put some fresh paint over it to make it seem fresh but you can smell and, and it looks damp what would you do with the fungi would you just like inject some spores like into the wall or, or how would you actually well do it? so the fungi the fungi is the mold um and then the bacteria is the thing that breaks it like doesn't allow this mold to perpetuate basically so the spores aren't able to um or they're not allowed so how would so, you so what would you put in there it's just it? like a, a bacterial spray basically oh. i mean if it's too far gone then you just get rid of the wall right um, right but but yeah if you have one of the problems is like vents and if you have a lot of moisture built up in vents those are hard to get to but if you can somehow circulate this bacterial uh spray to get rid of the um fungi you know it's basically a probiotic for your home Hmm. um so there's you know there's a lot of really interesting things that you can do with fungi and not bacteria so one of the things that's really cool about fungi is they're a natural chemist and i i saw this video about how some people are using fungi to develop personalized medicine which would be really interesting to have in your home like almost a home-based doctor for your super basic needs 
And this would be something along the lines. So if you needed a headache medicine of some sort, Mm -hmm. you could potentially have a a pharmacist, whether this is like a natural pharmacist, like a fungi, some sort of fungus that excretes something that hurt, you know, that kills the bacteria or virus that um, you have in your body. Or if this was just some sort of tried and true chemical uh, reaction, you know, something that can mix these different compounds together and make a drug personal to you based on your genome and your blood work and everything you know that would be really interesting to have um and you don't need to go to the pharmacy you just kind of have it built right right in front of right to have all the chemical compounds right there and then it just gets assembled for you based Mm -hmm. on the diagnostics that are available to you right there so yeah i agree i mean we talked earlier about how the home is really a place where you can go and lick your wounds and be safe so i think having an ai doctor in there as well and some real high quality first aid better than anything we have today that would be a great best case scenario Mm -hmm. so unless you have anything else i think it'd be good to get into the most likely scenario there so there's a one other um area that i want to talk about and that's the personal assistance so yeah so in the far future if you've ever seen Iron Man and Jarvis, you know, the, the AI that basically helps him along and mm-hmm. talks to him and does anything basically that he needs him that he needs uh, to do, he'll do it. And yeah. you can just have him respond to emails for you. You can have him do basically anything. Right. That's sort of like digital. in her also. Oh yeah. Her. That's, that's a good one. I, so um, that's a really interesting movie i just watched it for the first time uh, about a month ago yeah um but yeah having that person to or the ai that you can kind of confide in that's almost yeah. like having a, a psychiatrist in your like home. she searched through all of the writing that he has ever done and distilled it into just the very best pieces in the order that makes the most sense and there it is and like i can't tell you how many people i know who have been wanting to write a book or not a biography, but the thought of just going through all of their old journals and mm-hmm. and doing all that grunt work to put something together, that's the hardest part. But if yeah. you had an AI assistant that could just do everything that you, everything better than you can do, except for whatever it is that's your special flavor of humanness. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that would just be amazing. I mean, you don't even need it to be... Um, for work i mean it would be awesome if you're if you know the the economy turns into this remote economy most people work from home and you know it can help you with your your work tasks and make you well i I mean whether whether you're getting paid for it or not i feel like everything is all sort of about truth and beauty so it's like and whether you're pursuing it for its own sake versus pursuing it for because another company is paying you but like mm-hmm. if you're pursuing truth, like philosophy or furthering knowledge or anything like that, you could definitely use an AI assistant. And if you're furthering beauty, like if you're composing new works or if you're writing some new poetry or painting something, that also could be well assisted by AI. So I think mm-hmm. whatever you're doing, it could be helpful. But I think there will yeah. also always be this sort of hipster, traditional, no tech subculture (laughs) so i don't think that's going away either 
Yeah, I mean, that'll be a culture, that'll be like two different cultures within my own home. Like the right. no-tech areas, like you were saying, the bedroom, yeah. and the high-tech areas. Yeah, this, it's really interesting, yeah. to, it's going to be interesting to see how people, especially the very wealthy, design their homes. Like Bill Gates, for example, uh-huh. his his extends to the art that each person in the family likes to see when they walk into specific rooms. Right, right. Well, it's kind of so, like now when you look at your phone and unlock it, you go into this digital world versus if you throw your phone on the sofa and then you just sort of like lay down and read a book, like that's another very different world. So imagine if you're in your bedroom in the world that we know today where you're just reclined reading like normal, normal ape stuff. And then you walk into your office and it's like diving inside your phone. Like you're in the digital realm. Mm. You can be physically anywhere you imagine to be through some brain machine interface. You can Mm -hmm. interface with any person, like just pull knowledge and like sort of like minority report, like organizing any of your thoughts. Um, I think, I think that's going to be become even a more pronounced dichotomy of human existence is the digital realm and then the monkey realm. Yeah. So what do you think is not going to be covered by the home or shouldn't be covered by the home like is there any reason people should leave the home the one that comes to my mind is like nature like getting out in nature doing nature and real old-fashioned human to human connection are the two main reasons to leave the home because it's also super important that you travel and meet other people who live far away not that you just travel through virtual reality because that leads to greater understanding and greater collaboration so there should still be physical travel. It should just be that while you're in your home, you can be as productive and comfort comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. All right, so let's get into now the most likely scenario for the future of smart homes. Most likely scenario. So what do okay. you feel is the most likely outcome? Let's say in the year 2050 or 2100, somewhere around there. Yeah. So, of course, this varies based on the income level. But I think, I think, like I said, technology is going to continue to advance, barring some giant catastrophe that wipes out, you know, a lot of the population. But if people have this technology available to them, I think they will take advantage of it. But what I think is probably likely is there's going to be data leakage and big companies are going to have access to all of your home data, all of the activities that take place in your home, which is kind of scary. Mm -hmm. Um, But in a way, it's also really good to especially like if amazon knows that you're down on something like you don't even think that you're running low on something right you use it all the time like it's kind of good to just have that sort of fail safe you can offload a lot of cognitive work yeah yeah and so the one of the downsides to offloading a lot of the work is I'm confident in my own ability to, you know, stay busy, keep learning, keep growing. 
but I worry that a lot of the population will not be equipped to handle all of the free time that is afforded to them right, by, right. by some of these new uh, technologies. So does that mean they just go into their Netflix or their VR or whatever, you know, they want to do yeah. to escape and just pass the time? So I'm not entirely sure. I think you could um, incentivize it a little going. bit. Like if you, let's say there's UBI and mm -hmm. if you maintain this certain level of healthiness based on these metrics, then you get a greater number of, of income versus mm -hmm. people who underperform in those areas. So it's, mm. I mean, that can still be dystopic. Like in 1984, they have them get up every morning and do the jumping jacks and stuff <laughs> like that. And they're pretty much forced to do it. Yeah. But uh, I, I still think it, I mean, I think there are ways that we can encourage people to be healthy, but we also want to leave them as much freedom as possible. Right. Yeah. And it's just a, like I said, it's just a little worrisome to think how people might use all the extra free time if they're not working. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's not that worrisome from the sense of like security of the country, I don't think. I mean, I think it would be probably still way better than where we are now. But I think we. It's need just a shame. Something. It's just wasted opportunities. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if we have these technologies in the home that can make people have more time for, you know, human to human interaction and building uh -huh. their relationships and learning, you know, if, if we have these homes that are better for humans um, in the sense that it helps them grow, like if the, hu if the house itself is basically just an assistant to humans and that also includes like coaching like it'll be like hey we notice you've been on the couch a lot recently you know you've just been kind of sedentary recently hmm. maybe we have these these apps that people use kind of in a self-help manner that are connected to the home it's like home apps instead of phone apps right right i mean they already have that new mirror that is supposed to be your fitness coach and it can mm -hmm. measure your whole body mass index and fat percentage and all of that kind of stuff. And it also will give you whatever routine like yoga and whatever else. I mean, it kind of freaks me out just because, again, it's like a mirror looking back at you. It's like <laughs> a little freaky to me. And I think all of these coaches and everything, they're great so long as they're optional, like people can have them. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of it depends on like how how benevolent the government remains going yeah. into the more far future because i mean if you look in history it's not that common to have a benevolent government and we're right. you know even with all the problems we have today it still is more good than not but if that were to change then it can get real bad real fast so with my most likely scenario it is great for some people some people's homes are like the are like the bat cave you know super private super secure there's nature mm -hmm. you know you've got everything you need you got the equivalent of jeeves or, or you know your jarvis that, or yeah. jarvis like over there um but then for other people it's more like 1984 it's like you've got your government issued tv in your cubic smart home and you know you're getting analyzed you you don't have the option to, or you could turn the ads off but 
you don't have the money to to pay for the services otherwise Mm -hmm. and it's you know there are definitely different degrees of how bad that could be it could just be like advertising like we know today which you know is annoying but it's not like that crazy deceptive as as it could be right Um, yeah once we understand more about the human mind like that's when it starts to get scary to know how companies are going to use that for marketing yeah yeah. i think we just there's there's enough that we don't know about the mind that makes it to where we're not as um susceptible to manipulation right like there there are some lines that should never be crossed like for instance what if you had some future company that paid people to bump into you or have seemingly random encounters and then tell you about like one specific thing to try to get you on it like like you know they keep oh, wow. like people keep coming up to me and talking about pilates and how, and like how i really need to try pilates and it's helped them and 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 oh this really beautiful woman came up and asked me about if i, if I was going to pilates later and it's like i better go to get a pilates membership and then oh, it turns out gosh. that like not only are they orchestrating what goes on in the digital realm, but if it goes into the real world realm, that's why I think, I mean, that's the biggest worry with some of the stuff that's been going on with the Russia hacks and everything else is that the digital world is starting to creep into the real world. Like it's starting to affect elections. And yeah, so that's what we certainly need to work to prevent. Yeah. I've actually never really thought of that sort of advertising scenario where you just have paid actors, you know, bumping into you and planting all these seeds that you should do. I bet the conversion rate is extremely high on those. Yeah. I mean, that's deception on like the ultimate level. Yeah. Because, I mean, it just reminds me of the, the Darren Brown Netflix stuff where he has the push where he literally gets people to commit murder just by orchestrating all of the different social pressures and influences around them. And Mm -hmm. a lot of that's by getting real world people to just be pushy and, you know, make you really feel like you need to do some, whatever they want you to do. And so if you start getting into that realm and it's already proven through the show, you can get people to commit murder. Then that can, if you have AI powered, manipulation and it's combined with real world influence i mean that's a terrible outcome yeah especially if it's penetrating extremely deeply into the home like if it's just always it's always priming you with something within your own home like like you said your home should be a sanctuary now if you Mm -hmm. willingly you know watch cable tv and you have all these ads fine i mean that's that's your decision but if you don't have a choice yeah then that's an issue i mean even if you're poor the choice can still be just don't do it like you can read a regular book instead of you know watching a documentary with ads or you know right. there's you should always be able to turn options. your tv or phone off and not have to worry about oh maybe it's actually on because of oh, some yeah. back to- which is already the case with devices i mean that's why people like mark zuckerberg have a little flap over their over their uh camera and audio mic input um, whenever they're not actively using those functions yeah, that's scary that Mark Zuckerberg does. Like that should right. be an indicator that it's a pretty important thing to do because he yeah, he yeah. knows, 
you know, what the powers of these other corporations and the government actually are. Mm -hmm. So that's one way that you can stay safe from, you know, being spied on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that pretty much covers the worst case, best case, and most likely scenarios. Is there anything else that you feel like we left out that we should tell our listeners about? No, I mean, there were just a couple of really cool robots that that were really interesting. So the Laundroid was one of them mm-hmm. uh, that folds your laundry. And these are things that are out right now. Yeah. And then if you have a home with a yard, then there are also these things called farm bots, which is this open source uh... robot where you can basically have your own food growing your own farm to table that is something we didn't touch on where if you can also grow your own clean food and maybe with like in the future of food you even have your own lab grown meat growing as well and you can be totally self-sustaining so whatever else happens outside your home in the home it's self-sustaining and yeah you can and survive. you could even have like it depends on what the fundamental building blocks are to the meat, but it it's not inconceivable in the far future that you could have your own like robot foragers. Like let's say you lived out in the woods somewhere, but you had this high tech home and you knew what the raw materials were that are needed for certain lab grown meats or anything else. You can have this bot just go out pick whatever it needs to pick maybe it's just wood and some leaves and stuff and somehow that can be converted into meat with all the Hmm. all these different chemical reactions um you know there there's a possibility that you don't have to ever go to the grocery store or ever have even food delivered to you you just go get it from your garden this probably wouldn't work as well in a huge city just because there isn't that much space for you to have a garden but what i do see as a possibility if you lived in a city like in a huge building is maybe the building has its own community garden like that's just one of the components to it so whenever you need produce you just go get it whenever you need Mm. meat you just go get it because hopefully at some point the cost to produce these things are so low that it's almost a negligible cost. Almost like water is sometimes included in our rent. We can have food included in our rent or our HOA fees if we own it. Well, it could just be like how nowadays most apartments have a washer-dryer unit. Most apartments in the future could have a automatic farming unit. And they say, oh, and the great thing, you know, you don't have to leave your house to get food. You don't have to leave your house to do your laundry. You never have to leave your house unless you want to mingle with other people or see the Eiffel Tower. Or, <laughs> I mean, we definitely want to encourage people to co-mingle and explore the world. But if your house can be self-sustaining, that is clearly mm-hmm. the best outcome. Yeah, because one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is with the future of cities. I know we didn't. I didn't talk about this in the future of cities, but if you had certain buildings that were basically like tribes. So if you wanted to live this way, you lived in this building. If you wanted if you mm. wanted to live this way or if this was your personality, you live in this building. Kind of like in San Francisco, you have right. these really distinct neighborhoods of like what 
um, of who lives where, you could have that, you know, this is in the future, we're talking, you know, 10 billion plus humans on planet Earth. Or, you know, this, this is also a possibility in the high density cities like Mumbai and some other Indian and Chinese uh, cities with, with insanely high densities. Um, we have these mega structures that are basically neighborhoods. And you right, can have, right. You can design so there would be a much greater sense of community, sort of like the yeah. we the we live model, where everyone has their own sort of bedroom, bathroom, but then mm-hmm. uh, you know everything else is shared. So like living room is shared. You got the shared mm-hmm. ping pong table, shared pool. Yeah. So other stuff that you might not even be able to afford on your own, anyways. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you can share it with people, and a, a lot of these units are all young people all young professionals in New York, for instance. And that can be great because what we've seen with, you know, technology thus far is that people tend to draw with back within themselves if they don't have real interactions. And if all they see is, is Instagram and Facebook and where everything looks, you know, nice Mm -hmm. and, and perfect, then they can get more depressed. Whereas if you have people living in a college dorm room style environment, even older people, um, then I think people will just be happier overall. Yeah, and then you do have that tribe, like that community that you can go to and you can connect. And I think that's one of the things we really need to think about going forward is making sure that we don't completely get out of touch with humans and biological life. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, if you do go too far inward, then you're almost out of touch with your own like biology, like it, it's totally right. against human nature to not have a community, even mm-hmm. if it's a small tribe, like some, like myself, I'm more introverted than extroverted. And I just like to have a few close friends. And my, my scene isn't a huge party scene. But if you have, you know, these communities where you can make these close and deep relationships, then, you know, that I think that would be a really awesome way to live you know yeah. have your home well in also like the other thing that's interesting which is kind of getting a little into a different topic but if you know when jobs are a thing of the past when we tell our kids that oh i used to have a job what will it be like as far as education because if you imagine growing up in one of these communities that we're talking about and I imagine even though there aren't any jobs, we still will want our kids to be educated. We'll want them oh, to yeah. know how to read and write and, and paint and do all, you know, all the things that, they, that, that we can do. Um, but I guess like how would you organize kids into different groups if there's no real company structure because there's no need for profit because AI and automation is doing everything? It almost mm-hmm. would be like organizing them into guilds. And it's like, oh, you're someone who loves doing creative things or you're someone who mm-hmm. uh, loves building things and being an engineer or you're someone who loves experimenting and learning about new uh, new ideas, then you could sort of like still faction people off, but maybe it doesn't have to end, you know, once it's like, okay, now you know enough stuff, which is what happens mm-hmm. now. It could be a lifelong learning and a lifelong building and and there could yep. sort of be like a almost like a college system for your whole life with different Mm -hmm. colleges and dorms and clubs and yeah and so i love talking about this kind of stuff too i'm glad you brought it up because 
I don't think that so if we just did UBI and people just did whatever they want um, I don't think that's the end because then the, you know I guess you could still say that AI is going to advance and do whatever it's going to do but I want to I still want to be involved in that adva- in advancement. Right. I like, mean, there will if, still be like major trends among human society, even after we are out of the workforce. Like, oh, yeah. since the AI revolution, this is the most popular type of art among humans. This is the most popular <laughs> type of literature that people are talking about. Like, you know, hearkening back to the 80s, but with future mm-hmm. that we know now, like there still is going to be all of the cultural stuff. And it's probably going to be even amplified far greater but we're just not going to have to do the boring logistical stuff. Like no one's going to be working at Amazon packaging shipping centers. Yeah. And we'll have these, these people that can do whatever they want, but they're, or they can do what they're good at and love, but they're augmented. Like, let's say there is some sort of neural link where learning is almost instantaneous. Like Mm -hmm. right now learning is such a, bottleneck when it comes to innovation that I think once we have some sort of neural link that can almost upload knowledge, it just becomes fundamental to Mm -hmm. who we are. So if you think about how um, knowledge is transferred or has been transferred historically, like we keep getting better because our knowledge right now, just everything that we learn in elementary school has at one point in human history been completely inconceivable like the fact right. that the earth is well round. every generation learns everything that the previous generation knew and then yeah. some so th- i mean yeah, and so... just given how much we know it now it's just growing exponentially i mean yeah. every year i read this stat that every year more scientific literature is being created than all the previous years combined just because of the scale yeah. of how much new stuff happens every instant on the internet yeah, it's I mean, it's nuts. And if we can learn that, you know, right now, the bottleneck is getting it into our brains, like our brains only have so much capacity. But if we can really learn what it takes to be or to think like an Elon Musk, like what if we had a million Elon Musks, you know, mm-hmm. similar to that question that Joe Rogan posed on his podcast with him, like, what does the world look like? But if we have a neural link type system where you can just instantly get all of this information and become a master engineer or a master mm-hmm. mathematician and you yeah. can augment yourself and your own biological thinking with artificial we, we would need lots of safeguards so that rogue engineers don't just start building like yeah. bridges yeah. all over each other yeah but- <laughs> i mean there will probably be some sort of AI governance. I mean, if it has, well, I think I think the big filter is is going to be like it is today, finances. So you can start building the most incredible things, but if you don't have the finances, you're not going to be able to construct anything. And if you do have the finances, you can still get fined for doing things that are against code and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because yeah. I I just wonder what. It, t- it takes to get to these different civilization levels. So have you heard of like the Kardashev scale? Is that like where you have all the planet of, or all the power of the earth yeah. and then of the, the sun and then of the whole. The yeah. yeah. It's so right now we're like not even a type one civilization. Type one is we can harness all the power of our sun. Type two is we can harvest all the power of like, 
some it's some small subset of the galaxy and then type three is you can harness all the energy of your galaxy right um so it's like this exponential scale but i just wonder what it looks like when we're type one even like we can Mm -hmm. just harness all of the energy of the sun and what kind of lives people live when you know we're harnessing we have this like dyson sphere around our sun right where we're harnessing all the power well i think it depends what our ambitions are i mean right now it seems like a lot of people are satisfied just being in the world of netflix and their couch and yeah that kind of stuff so but if people have i mean there are also people who exist today who have ambitions to colonize mars and Mm. for those people it doesn't take that many of them to make a big dent in the universe i think it's pretty exciting for humankind as a whole and i think even for the average person that the future of the home is going to be very compelling and Mm. it's going to pose some interesting challenges but it'll also make our lives a lot more convenient All right, well, I think that's a good place to end it. So thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the future of smart homes. And join us next time for the future of gene editing. What is currently happening and what will inevitably happen. The past, the present, and the future.